Welcome to the Hey Chaplain Podcast. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. This podcast exists so that cops can hear encouragement from other cops so that you can be a wiser, healthier person. From the LAPD to Scotland Yard, the guests on Hey Chaplain are giving you the wisdom gleaned from their experience so that you don't have to learn the hard way. Today is a special bonus episode where we'll be listening to an excerpt from the Washdown podcast on which I came in as a guest earlier this year. Now, there needs to be a content alert here because the Washdown podcast is hosted by two firefighters. But don't let that scare you off because they have fantastic open-ended discussions about the health and wellness of first responders in general, including cops. In the following excerpt, I'm going to reveal my secret ulterior motive for why I came on their show. Here's the Washdown Podcast. I think some departments do a really good job of putting that out for their people. Mm-hmm. and But those are also the departments that do a really good job of taking care of their members' mental health and doing things that are proactive with their physical health. And like they're... Right. they're they're proactive. We'll just say that. And then I think some departments don't do a very good job of that. They don't let you know what resources that you have, you know, be it whether it's mental health, physical, or chaplain's programs. Um, and I think that just – it's one of those things where it's going to boil down to department specifics of, yeah, we have this, we have that. And, you know, the information flow, which we kind of talked about earlier today – you know, there's a top down that needs to come of, Hey, you've got all of this stuff, but then a bottom up of, Hey, we need this. What, what do we have that looks like this? Right. And some departments do it better than others. Yeah. So just just like any fortune 500 company, some are better at certain things than others. And yeah, it's just one of those things, right? Yeah. So the reason I ask is because my secret, ulterior motive to being here today is to recruit you guys to become first responder chaplains someday uh, <laughs> because because here, here's the deal my day job is i'm clergy i'm a i'm a i'm a minister at a church okay i'm a preacher those are getting rarer and rarer okay there are fewer churches in the united states than there were 50 years ago but the number of churches that are closing are being outpaced by the number of ministers that are leaving ministry uh, you guys talk about all the problems first responders have people who are in ministry you know divorce alcoholism suicide that hits them too and so a lot of, like i look back you know 25 years ago at the guys i graduated college with went to a bible college we're all going to be ministers or youth ministers or missionaries or whatever out of a the let's say 20 or let's say two dozen people that I was close to, I think there's two of us that are still in it 20 years later. Uh, Everybody else has burned out, whether they just quit and went to sell insurance. Some of them have done that. Some of them completely left the faith. And so the numbers are not good. But I look across first responders and I'm like, we need chaplains. Peer support's great. EAP's great. All, All the other resources are fine. But where are those advocates that can come in and really, I mean, there's nothing connected, like I said, to promotions or discipline. I am just here because I care about the health of this 25-year-old firefighter or 25-year-old police officer. Who, who's doing that? Who's guiding them? Some of, these, some, of these of, some of these officers don't have 
biological fathers that were in their lives. Where's the chaplain that can come in and and fulfill that role and 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 be a guide to them and help them through a very difficult career and get managed to get through it and and not only get home each night safe but to finish their career safely. There's not enough ministers to come in and do it this traditional route where I was in ministry for years and still am and and then that evolved into me volunteering as a police chaplain. There's not enough of me and I need ten thousand more of me. And so, so what I have to do is think outside the box and I can't go to the, the Baptist preachers and the, the Catholic priests. There's not enough of them left. I need to go find retired first responders who already have cultural competency. I need them to come in and, and fulfill that role. And some people object like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not really, I'm not like ordained clergy. We need people who maybe, maybe you did a little program or got a certification or a training in counseling. Maybe you do have some religious training or something like that. Whatever, whatever gives you a foundation to be a trusted advisor, a trusted guide. Let's take your cultural competency you already have as a first responder and turn you into a helper, and that might be your second chapter. Every first responder, first responder jobs are not jobs you work when you're 75 years old. And so, and so you most first responders retire relatively young. They have a lot of health. They have a lot of energy still to give. I need first responders who can, you know, maybe, like I said, get a little bit of certification and training and whatever, and then come in and help. And you're thinking, well, yeah, well, I'm not going to go back to my department. That's fine. I wouldn't advise that. I don't think a police officer who retires should go back to his own department and be a chaplain. I think it's actually better to go somewhere where people don't know you. You've got the cultural competence because you were a police officer or a firefighter, but you you don't have the the uh, reputation of well, we know you, and you know it's the whole yeah. a, a prophet. <laughs> we in his were own drinking country. with you two right. weeks ago <laughs> yeah. at the yeah. bar. <laughs> Really, yeah. Clarence? Yeah. Come on. I've got I've got a <laughs> chaplain friend. He is a retired LAPD officer, and he moved to the Midwest, and then he now is a a chaplain at an agency here in our hometown. Man, he's fantastic. And had, did he ever lay eyes on that agency before he came to be their chaplain? No, but he's got all the respect in the world from the officers because he was at LAPD. Yep. And so, and so seeing those guys come in and offer guidance and care and concern, I mean, man, that's sometimes that's all we need is, is if we're in a crisis, if we just knew that somebody cared, mm-hmm. that might keep us from putting a gun in our mouth. Yeah. Well, it's that great, I call it, you know, the great lie of I'm the only one who's right. ever gone through this. Yep. You yep. know, and I say it with sarcasm because once you've been through it and come out the other side, then you know how stupid it is. Right. But, you know, that's but what we all believe. That's what we yep. all believe. And that's part of removing that stigma of going and normalizing the stuff of, hey, this stuff that we see and the things that we do and the things that especially police officers with moral injury. Yeah. The things that, you know, if they have to use their weapon or yep. whatever, that yep. takes a toll. It yep. has to. But yep. they have to know that that's normal and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't get into it to shoot somebody. They got into it to help people. Yeah. But shooting somebody is something that might happen yeah. during during your career. And even if you don't kill them, 
I mean, just thinking that you caused harm. I mean, there, I've, I know cops that have shot somebody and two minutes later they're applying the tourniquet and they've got the person's blood all over them because, you know, they're trying to save that person's life. Yeah. But, but you still did, you still attained a, a moral injury by having caused the harm in the first place when that wasn't ever your intention. You never thought you were there to hurt people. Yeah. And then you think, man, am I someone who hurts people? And, and you have this identity crisis, a terrible, terrible thing that goes on. Another first responder would understand that. Yeah. And so seeing cops and firefighters go be, um, even cross, you know, uh, disciplines, you know, a firefighter, retired firefighter could be a chaplain for a police department and a retired cop could be a chaplain for a fire department. There would be still enough cultural competency to really make an impact. Yeah. And if I can recruit a future generation of chaplains to come along, I mean, especially where they don't not getting paid, having a pension would help tremendously. Uh, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, we need those people to come in and contribute and we're recruiting people who are counselors people who are former first responders people who who are lay ministers like maybe in their type of church it's not that they went to seminary but they just kind of got trained within their own church and they have some ability to help people in crisis we're recruiting all of those kinds of people to become chaplains and get them there's there's chaplain training out there it's mm -hmm. easy to find uh most of it's pretty basic you know your standard um you know critical incident stress management type stuff you know but we'll, we'll we'll get you through that and and get you that training and get you to volunteer and then just go find a firehouse and know all those shifts that work at that firehouse or just go find a police station and just know those patrol officers at that police station we're not asking you to solve the whole world's problems just go find a few dozen first responders and know them by name care about them invest in them be there for them year after year it'll literally save lives and that's that's what I'm trying to do. So if you guys just sign here on the dotted line, we'll let <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, it was a great sales pitch. Yeah, I like it. It's not a bad idea. No, yeah. well, and I mean, you so know, we're, we're, about... where's foul language fall in this whole thing? I'm hey, a, I, I'm a I, cusser. Well, I, work, I work with some. <laughs> I work with some Lutheran chaplains that they can both drink and swear you under the table, and so it's it's impressive. That's a, that's a whole different religion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, there's there's all kinds, and and like I said, there's there are some that are just as square as square can be. That'd be me. But there's others, like I said, that are former first responders, former military, and boy, there's nothing you can do to to scare them off. And frankly, even some of us who are pretty square, you can't scare us off either. Uh, we're, we're determined to love these cops, whether they want to be lovable <laughs> or not. And so, yeah. Sounds like cops. Oh, yeah. Firefighters yeah. are better. Let's <laughs> be honest here. <laughs> we're easier uh, to like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, and it's funny, not funny that you say that, but it's one of those things where, you know, the guy we were talking to earlier today was talking about, you know, oh, he's about to retire and maybe getting a little bit of counseling degree and then doing some of that stuff and, you know, staying connected that way. And then I've talked to several other people within the past few months of who are like, yeah, I'm probably going to get, you know, counseling degree and one guy that we had on the podcast mike delaney former cop mm -hmm. that's what he's doing right now he's waiting to get into his master's program yeah. for that yeah. and it's one of those things where i think people that have gone through that stuff and then come out the other side 
see the importance of it and they also see the shortage and the need. Yeah. You know, my wife is a, a counselor okay. and that's her whole practice is first responders and veterans. And it's like, yeah, we're, we need help. We need more people that do this yeah. type of work yeah. because the, the demand is only increasing. Right. right. It, it's like, you know, call volume with the police department, fire department. It's only yeah. increasing. It's not getting less. Yeah. We had, we had a, a cultural shift that I think hurt us to some degree. It's not that we can't overcome it, but, but it hurt us. We, if you go back a few generations, I was talking earlier about, about the people who volunteer to be first responders are a self-selected group. <laughs> and, and so you find a lot of folks, especially a few generations back, who came from um, church-going families with two parents. They were Boy Scouts, and you know there was just like this track that, that led to people volunteering for the military and to be first responders. And not that that was everybody, but, but that definitely was a stereotype. Yeah. And those who grew up in church, for all the negatives you can say about church culture and, and the things we've seen in American church culture in the last you know, 200 some years, one of the positives was the people growing up in church heard about life and death and the afterlife on a regular basis. And so mm-hmm. this was a conversation they had on a, on a regular basis. I mean, literally worshiped a God that was tortured to death. And and there there's an understanding, a familiarity with serious topics like that that were talked about regularly from the time they were little bitty all the way. I've heard it every week. They talked about dying. They talked about death. They talked about what happens after death, about having hope, all these things related. They were bathed in that all through their childhood. And even if they got into adulthood, stopped going to church, they still had all of that built-in resiliency that that others didn't have well now we have young people coming into being first responders that that have never been in church because they're now maybe a couple generations removed from going to church and like i said not that going to church is the be all and end all although i personally am in favor of it uh (laughs) but but the but the loss is now you have people that are being thrust into an environment where they're seeing death up close, but they did not have 18 or 21 years of discussing it every week before that. And and some people will be fine. It, it won't matter. They'll be fine. But I think the when you're talking about tens of thousands of first responders, millions of first responders, it, we would see better percentages. Yeah. If, if they had been raised with that, if they'd had stability, if they'd had those conversations, if they'd had that that inculcation, we don't have that. We're not going to get it back. We can't snap our fingers and change it. But but that is part of the dynamic we're working with now. Uh, I talk to first. I counsel with first responders that that really have not ever had some of the conversations that when I'm going and teaching first and second graders at my church, I'll sit down and teach them a lesson about dying and things like that. That I'm like. Oh wow! I'm talking to a 35 year old cop who's never had that conversation, and so that's a that's an interesting dynamic. Never, yeah. never thought of it that way. Yeah, and we've sat here and we've kicked around that topic quite a bit of the cultural shift and why is it so hard to get people in the door and why do people seem less resilient now than they did in the past and yeah. what's changed and what's changed and that's one thing. That's, that's, a, that's another factor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I grew up in the church. Yeah. We went yeah. every Sunday. Yeah, it, it had yeah, an impact on you, it, even if you had a negative experience. I don't have any idea what you're. No, I, I never but, had a negative experience. But but all of that had an influence on you, and and I would argue would have, on average, given you and people like you 
a little bit more resiliency, a little bit, you have somewhere to start with. If you want to talk to somebody about like, yeah, I went to that call and the passenger's head was missing. And that image has been seared in my mind. I, every time I close my eyes, I think about it. You at least have a foundation to begin that conversation that someone who didn't have that religious training as a child may or may not have. And like I said, not that everybody, I mean, I've met some non-religious people that are very squared away. And I've met some religious people that are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But on average, I think that that helps. And I, I see it in the counseling that I do. Yeah, I, I can see that definitely being a factor. I want to thank Jeremy and Chris over at the Washdown Podcast for letting me use this excerpt of their show. And let me add just a couple thoughts about the stuff we talked about. First of all, the comment about needing 10,000 more of me. Some people want to say, but there's 18,000 plus police stations and like 29,000 fire stations. Don't we need a lot more than just 10,000? That's accurate. There are you know tens of thousands of agencies, but we have lots of great chaplains out there already. And so it's not like every single agency is without this kind of help. Also, there's lots of little agencies out there. If your sheriff's office is less than a dozen people, the town PD is just half a dozen, and all you have are all-volunteer fire departments, I'm pretty sure that one or two chaplains can cover that, and then some. But there is an upper cap. It's not like a handful of chaplains can get on the internet and be a chaplain to everybody. I really think that a chaplain starts losing effectiveness in groups larger than about 120. For some, it may be just 80, for others, 200. But I believe that 120 is a good number. Because I think that the pastoral care that a chaplain provides is best done in groups of dozens or scores, not thousands. So we do still need 10,000 more first responder chaplains than what we have right now. Also in regard to cultural competency, recruiting retired first responders is the key to filling the gap as far as having more first responder chaplains. For the chaplains like me who came from the church, bridging the gap to first responder culture is maybe the biggest single obstacle to effectiveness. It's difficult to learn the jargon and the institutional structure and you feel completely alone and alienated while you're in the process of learning it. And frankly, many ministers quit and walk away from chaplaincy before they really get where they can arrive at a level of understanding and fitting in with the officers that they serve. So finding a retired first responder who can already walk in the door understanding the, in, in broad strokes, how a first responder agency functions, that is incredibly valuable knowledge that's really hard to teach. Also for those retired first responders, coming back into the first responder world and staying connected to that, there's something attractive here. There's a chance after your career is over to stay in the game, even if you're not really in it directly. Now this can be dangerous because if you're a chaplain now, you're not an officer anymore. And 99.9% .9 of the time, you need to be in that support role, not in the direct involvement role, which is so tempting to jump back into. But by being a chaplain, you can be near this line of work that you've loved so much. But now you can have a healthy disposition toward it. You're there to encourage, you're there to sympathize, 
and you're not there to get sucked into the dynamics that you may have personally struggled with. And one last note. Not that long ago, I was on a dead body call and the body had just been removed and I was speaking to the family about what was going to happen in the next couple hours and what was going to happen in the next couple of days. I had them gathered in the front yard and I gave my instructions and I expressed my sympathies. I even had the opportunity to say a prayer with them. I then gave them just a little bit of coaching about how to treat one another and what to expect as each of them reacted to this unexpected death. Well, the officer who was with me as we walked back to our cars, he said, boy, you can't find wisdom like that just anywhere. Now, I said thank you and how kind of him it was to, to pay me a compliment, but, but really the wisdom there is not extraordinary wisdom. I feel like for someone who's worked in the church for 25 years and has conducted more funerals and more counseling sessions with families than I can even remember, that is a pretty conventional skill set. So I still think that the church is the best place to learn the wisdom you need to serve as a chaplain. I am not ashamed that chaplaincy is something that began in Christianity and the church's teachings on good and evil, life and death, and how to love your enemy are absolutely critical to being an effective first responder chaplain. And so if chaplaincy is still something that's a few years off for you, my recommendation is that in addition to whatever classes and certifications you may get, that you also go work at the church, that you go help families, that you teach children, that you learn how to counsel and advise and coach other people through great difficulties of all different kinds. Because every problem that an officer or an officer's family has brought to me as a chaplain is a problem that I've already encountered by helping people through the church. If you like this episode, please share it with a cop or someone who loves a cop. The views expressed here are the personal views of the host and our guest and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. This show is always and forever ad-free because listeners like you send support at buymeacoffee.com slash heychaplain. Thank you for giving $5 when you really don't even have to. It means the world to me. Thank you for listening to Hey Chaplain. And as always, pray for peace in our city.